the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Thank you for joining us on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there for the Substack that I write, getting a ton of attention uh, from my Substack uh, on Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson. Of course, I that was, was it last week when I sent that? And I sent it after I had had a segment on the radio show on Ben Carson. And my assertion was that Ben Carson is the best pick for uh, vice president for Donald Trump. And uh, over the weekend, Donald Trump made some comments on other candidates. I think he said Senator Scott and uh, maybe um, who else? Uh, um Oh, Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota. Those are all because he's playing politics. He knows those are people that are popular. He knows uh, that uh, Senator Scott is from South Carolina. Uh, Christy Nome is very popular with the, the uh, conservatives. But those are not real candidates. They will not be the vice presidential candidate. Trust me. Anyway, got a great ton of attention. Go to phyllisschlafly.com also and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know uh, comes out every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific. And very helpful uh, for you to get that from me. And uh, it will give you Monday through Friday, each morning, each weekday morning. It'll give you a couple of stories, a couple of links and one clear Wink, what you need to know. And so there you have it. All right. Today's wink on this segment, what we're going to talk about is Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chair. The RNC chair has announced that I don't know if she's announced it formally, but she's certainly leaked the news that she will not be continuing as chairman of the Republican uh, National Committee. Now, let's do a little history. Okay, here's the history of what's going on. Uh, I was on the RNC until uh, 2015, and although I met Rana a few times, she was then, I think, the chairman, uh, yes, the chairman of Michigan, uh, the Michigan Republican Party, and Reince Priebus was the uh, the head of the RNC. And when Donald Trump won, uh, Reince Priebus, who had been a Scott Walker guy, Reince Priebus is from Wisconsin um, and knew uh, Scott Walker governor. Scott Walker for a long time. And when Governor Scott Walker ran for president, uh, Reince Priebus was chairman of the RNC. He did not he did not put his thumb on the scale for Walker, but everybody knew that was his buddy. Um, They were very close, arc, very close personal friends, uh, along with Paul Ryan, all those folks. So uh, Priebus, though, after Trump wins the nomination, Priebus um, does what he can to help the candidate win. And most people you, you have to go back in time to remember most sort of establishment Republicans thought Trump was going to lose to Hillary, just like the media and everybody wanted you to believe. 
Grievous, to his credit, uh, worked hard to try to get Trump to win and uh, spent a lot of his time uh, trying to get Trump to win, including in places like Wisconsin and Michigan and other places. And so when he won, what is little known, but it's you know, known by me and now by you, is uh, Paul Ryan and others really wanted Reince Priebus to be chief of staff to the president. And Reince really wanted that job. Um, the problem is the job of chief of staff to the president of the United States is, is one of the greatest jobs in the history of humankind, but it's also a very complicated job. You have to be a really good political guy and a really good manager because it's a big time managing job, but it's also a political job. I know because I was chief of staff to a governor and in a very small way, uh, it's a similar role. So Priebus got the job. Trump offered it to him and he was in over his head. Uh, Ryan's Priebus did not succeed at that job. He, he really didn't know how to manage. He didn't know government. And, and he was in over his head like a lot of people and especially for Trump. Trump is a very complicated guy uh, to work for, meaning he's very demanding and he's serious and he's a challenge. And he's a he's a big time guy himself. And so anyway, so Priebus didn't last. But before Ryan's Priebus left the uh, left the. Um, uh, admin, uh, the RNC, what he did was he positioned things and he made sure that the votes of the 168 members of the RNC went for Ronna McDaniel and uh, Ronna McDaniel. And he convinced Trump as president that this was a good idea, that Ronna had won Michigan. She'd worked hard for Trump. Forget her middle name or her, her uh, maiden name, sorry, uh, which is Romney. She was a total Trumper. She was good. She was great in 2016. So Ryan said, hey, take Ronna. And Rana was basically a continuation of the Reince Priebus era. Well, what was the Reince Priebus era at the RNC? They were pretty good at fundraising, but they did the same stuff they'd done before. And if you want me to be totally candid, um, they were totally safe, totally establishment, totally buffeted by the modern Republican uh, rhino party in general. And the same consultants got paid uh, under Priebus uh, and under Rana McDaniel. So nothing really changed. And by the time you got all the way forward to 2020, most people agreed the RNC was not particularly dynamic and not particularly uh, successful. It was Trump, the sitting president, who was uh, dynamic and successful. And so there you have it. Uh, but since Trump picked Rana and uh, since, you know President Trump wanted her, she got the job and people weren't going to uh, mess with her. Now, after 2020... And certainly after, uh, actually after 2018, uh, usually an RNC chair would uh, quit. It was such a bad cycle. You'd usually quit. She didn't. She wanted to stay. Trump let her stay. After 2020, uh, it was messy enough that it wasn't obvious that she uh, should quit, although she should have. And I'm, what I mean by that is it was a failure. 2020, uh, even if you believe, as I do, that the Democrats uh, gained the system and in many places probably cheated, uh, the, the Trump campaign was not served by an RNC that was planning ahead. They didn't have the lawyers in place. They didn't have the details in place. They just they, they were not ready like they should have been. So Ronna McDaniel didn't resign, though, and she continued to serve. Well, OK, so over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump floats the fact that he is going to ask for changes. Um, and he had met with her. And he told her that and he allowed her the space. There's a Republican uh, a National Committee meeting was uh, late last week. And she announced and leaked that she's going to resign and she's going to uh, move on. And Trump will have a chance, uh, I think, to back a candidate. Remember, the voters for the RNC are not the rank and file. It's the 168 members of the uh, Republican National Committee. And you say, how do you get to 100 and uh, 168? 
And the answer is because every state has three. Every state has three, uh, meaning they have a chairman and a committee man and a committee woman. And then there are these territories. There's these territories that are uh, uh, out in um, uh, in uh, Guam and Marianas Island, Northern Marianas Island, uh, Puerto Rico. They each get three also. So you get up to 100, 100 and uh, what did I say? 168. I think that's right. 168. I think that's the right number. Um, and uh, and so um, the uh, the reality is there will now be a, Trump's got to back a chairman or a member, someone that would be palatable to the 168. And it's usually someone from among the ranks. And it looks like it's going to be the North Carolina chairman. But here's the problem. The problem is this. The party structure in American politics has been dramatically changed in the last two decades. Citizens United, the Supreme Court case that allows dark money to flow into elections, has meant that individual senators and presidents start their own PACs and super PACs because they can go and get massive sums of money. And in the old days, they needed to utilize the party structure to raise money into the party and to work hand in glove with the party. Again, I know this from being chairman of the Missouri Republican Party. It used to be that in order to have enough money into the campaign of of an election cycle, you use the party to raise money and the candidates and the incumbents all raised money into the party, which then ran get out the vote for everybody and and then built out a structure for everybody. But when you become a, a, a senator, and you know that you, instead of having to rely on a party structure where you have to have congressmen and state reps and others running, you're a U.S. senator. You raise your own money into a super PAC and the super PAC takes care of your stuff. And you don't have to be tied as directly to, to people that you can't control directly. That's why Mitch McConnell is very successful at fundraising because he's got all these super PACs in the structure. So what you have is a, a party structure, the Republican National Committee that does not right now lend itself to being uh, in the system, to working with any meaningful that, you know, it's better to be outside the system unless you are the president, like Trump was to the RNC and Biden is to the DNC, uh, which is why the DNC has a lot more money right now, because Trump Biden is just raising it to the DNC, total control over it. And now when Trump secures the nomination, it will be easier for him to turn to the RNC and say, now we're working together. You know, we're working coordinated and it will probably work better. It will probably work better, but it does bring us to the, the question going forward is where the, will there be Republicans who come up through the ranks as grassroots folks and have um, and, and get into elective office who can win unless they have big money, which means you have to be in the tank for one of the big, big pharma, big business, you know, big labor. There's, no, there's a handful of, of, of bigs that you got to be in good because that's where the money is. Big billionaires. I mean, that's the big money, guys. I mean, that's so that's that's the dynamic that's happening. And uh, and once the reason why Rana was pushed at this point was because Trump is now going to be the nominee and it's time for him to have a chance to get that thing ramped up. We'll see if they do it different. We'll see if the RNC does it differently than they've done it in the past if they have a vision for how to protect the election and serve the president. And if it happens, uh, that's still out there to see. So that's what's going on. That's what you need to know. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I needed to know something better than I did before, and so I thought I'm going to call Zadrozny. John Zadrozny is himself a lawyer. Um, he's been very tuned in to politics. He understands how politics and, and law fit together and policies. Over at America First Legal, he's one of their senior folks, and he also has the distinction, I think he's the only person I know I've ever met, who uh, worked in the New York City District Attorney's Office that is the center of the upcoming trial, perhaps. Um, And so welcome back, John Zadrozny. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thanks so much for having me on. So first, tell our listeners, what is this? Like, if you look at New York, it's so big, right? You got the Southern District of New York. Well, that's federal, right? You've got the this. I mean, it, it, people, you got the Mets and the Yankees. You know, you got the Knicks and sort of the Brooklyn, whatever they are. I mean, Brooklyn Nets. I, I, yeah, the Nets. There you go. I, I don't I don't even believe it. I mean, after they <laughs> left Jersey, I'm a Jersey guy, Zadrozny. So once they left the Jersey, I, I don't care. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, they, they go so hard. They're like, oh, the World Cup final has been awarded to New York. New Jersey. No, it's not. It was awarded to New Jersey. That, that This is typical New York. Anyway, back to this point. What exactly is Alvin Bragg is the district attorney of what office? You told me once it's actually the technical name. Walk us through what this is and what it, it kind of means. Yeah. So uh, Ed, Alvin Bragg is the district attorney, the lead prosecutor for New York County, which is basically Manhattan, but New York City as a New York native. Proud to talk about this. New York City is made up of five counties in New York. They call them boroughs. It's Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. And Manhattan is technically New York County. So he's in charge of all of the millions of people and the crimes that happen in that county. And it's quite a burden. Uh, it's, it's historically been a huge burden. And historically, though, New York County, for, the, for whatever you have to say about the politics of New York City or New York State, was always run by incredibly competent people of all political stripes. There were three men who were the district attorneys for basically the better part of 80 years, one of whom was my boss, the late Robert Morgenthau, who's a legend and a wonderful guy. Crime was taken very seriously. Yes, New York was lefty and crunchy on a lot of respects, but God help you if you got in front of 12 Manhattanites for committing a serious <laughs> crime. You were going to prison for a very long time. What's new here uh, is that you've got a guy like Bragg, who I don't know, he may be really, he may be a Mensa member, he may be really smart, but he's definitely way too political. And what that means is he's focusing on Donald Trump. I've got to tell you, you cannot put this much energy as the DA into a case that requires this much bandwidth, requires this much attention, and not be neglecting the rest of what's going on in the county. By the way, Ed, this is all happening against the backdrop that had nothing to do with Mr. Bragg, which was okay. the decimation of the left's ability, uh, the, the, rather the left's attempt to te- decimate our ability as the people in states and localities to tackle crime. Yeah. So you've got this one-two punch and the people of New York are really suffering for it. Well, all right. So John's driving our guest again. He's over at America First Legal, uh, but we're talking right now about the Manhattan, Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So to be clear, when you hear it on the news, you'll hear the Manhattan DA. Well, Manhattan is where they are. It's technically the New York County, but th- that's so it's all of Manhattan though. And now this guy that's a big this is a big job meaning when you're talking about the manhattan district attorney the prosecutor from manhattan this is a state prosecutor how many lawyers in that office if you had to guess i'm not holding you to it it's not a, it's not uh, uh you're not under oath well, gosh, I, you know, when I was there, I, my understanding is there were upper, there were between 400 and 500 attorneys in a right. different moment. That's not including support staff. Right. right. So, like, that's actually probably bigger than, like, some state AG's office. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My point, my point is, like, the largest, the largest non-military military is the, is, the, uh, is the New York City cops. So, and the New York City cops, there's just so many because it's such a big job. Now, that's a little different because they're outside of just Manhattan, I understand. But the point is, okay, so that's, so he's doing everything from traffic tickets. The, his office is doing everything from every state 
hate violation in Manhattan. You've got murders, you've got uh, theft, you've got uh, pr- uh, conspiracies, you've got everything under the sun, right? I mean, you've got a whole range. Yeah, it's basically uh, they've got all those responsibilities. And yeah, he's brought this case against Donald Trump, which is just I believe I, I should have checked the number before we talked yet, but it's dozens of charges. Right. And it's it about is. stuff that in the grand scheme of things, too, you know, I remember there was a point in time where when I was a prosecutor, I was an ADA in the New York County District Attorney's Office. So not every case got brought. Sometimes there was something that was wrong. Sometimes somebody broke a law. But you did a, a, a cost benefit analysis and you're like, well, is this really worth pursuing? Yes. No. Did someone get hurt? Do we need to find justice? Uh, right. This is clearly a political prosecution. I'm missing the point where somebody got injured. Again, in a world where he had nothing but free time and bandwidth, fine, do whatever you want. But you've got a situation where the city is scrambling because people are being hurt. No one feels safe there, like every almost every other major city in the country. And uh, well, you know, and, and, and Bragg's yeah, Bragg's got a situation where I, and I think this actually is going to end his career, the whole thing, because and people aren't going to see this as a really uh, capable case. And he's got the situation where these illegal immigrant migrants are beating up cops and, and they're letting them go yeah. and they're disappearing. I mean, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It matters how people see it. But pa- pausing for one moment back, I, it is important. And we're talking with John Zadrozny. He's over at America First Legal. There's so much so much good work over there. But I'm picking his brain on it. One of his expertise, which was having been a prosecutor in New York City in the office that Alvin Bragg is at. You mentioned this prosecutorial discretion. The notion is that we and I like elected prosecutors because you can then hold them accountable, hopefully. And so if you're Robert Morgenthal, you say, you know what? I've decided my priority is going to be because Rudy is the uh, mayor. We're going to we're going to go after these people that are, are breaking windows because we got to change the dynamic here. That that's and if you're articulating what you're doing, it seems fair. And I guess Bragg would say, and Letitia James as attorney general, that they ran for office saying, all we're going to do is get Trump. I mean, and so don't be surprised. Now, the problem is it's not supposed to be political discretion. It's supposed to be uh, this sort of public good discretion. And that's what, you know, it's not Democrat good. It's public good. I mean, how would you describe it? You were a prosecutor. I was not a prosecutor. No, I, I think you nailed it, Ed. Like the reality is, the discretion is supposed to come into play when it comes to is the office, is the juice worth the squeeze for pursuing certain criminal cases, right? Are you achieving a result? Are you stopping a dangerous person from being on the streets? Are you making the community safer? Are you giving people confidence in the city so they go out and spend money and stay out late? That's where the discretion is supposed to come in. I think yes, he has the discretion to pursue these cases and ignore the others. But this is the sort of case that I think would have been laughed at out of the supervisor's office, you know, years ago when crime was taken seriously. Seriously. And again, if crime was down and this guy had nothing but free time, Alvin, go for it. But you don't have that problem. The city's a cesspool. And you mentioned illegal immigration, which has created basically a super citizenry that can attack citizens and police officers. And there are zero consequences because nobody wants them removed for some reason, even though they're dangerous people. So, yeah, discretion is it's important to have executive officials. Like you said, they're elected. So you can throw them out if you want. Discretion is an important part of running an office. You can't bring every charge, but you can't bring stupid charges and ignore the serious ones either. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and so John Zdrozny, again, is our guest. America First Legal is where he works. A lot of great work going on over there. We have him on regularly to talk about that. T- today, we're talking a little bit more broadly and especially about his experience as a prosecutor in the office where Alvin Bragg, uh, Alvin Bragg wasn't the prosecutor. It was the late Ro- Robert Morgenthal, very well-regarded career prosecutor. So, John, due process is a phrase a lot of people know. They know they've heard it. They studied it. You, you and I, as lawyers, we know it means a lot. It's kind of like what I just said, where 
We want prosecutors to have discretion, but the discretion has to be towards the common good. That's a value that we thought we all shared. How do you look at New York City and you look at like a jury? You mentioned earlier uh, a jury of 12 New Yorkers at this point with how the, uh, you know, the country, the brainwashing in the media has been and how things are positioned. I mean, ultimately, as I tell people all the time, if Donald Trump, for example, in the other New York case, if Donald Trump's businesses did something wrong in the business filing, well, that's kind of like every third business does that. I'm not saying he did. I don't know. But you can you can try to find the crime. And now you've got a situation where Bragg is finding the crime. How do you how do you think and talk about due process in a New York in this situation in New York? Well, you know, I honestly, I'll just be blunt. I, I don't think Donald Trump's getting a fair shake in any of these jurisdictions. And uh, especially because when when you look at it, we take a step back and look at what's going on. Not only are they hell bent on prosecuting him. So due process will be trampled in the process of them being determined to prosecute him. But they're also under a time limit. This is not usually the case with this type of thing. They want to injure Donald Trump now, between now and the summer or the fall, because they, you know, Let's be honest. He's going to be the nominee of the Republican Party. Odds are. Uh, and so now that he's basically got a clear field, um, they want to do as much damage as they can to him. I, I can tell you right now, these liberals have it in their heads. They're going to put him in a jail cell and say, well, now he yeah. can't run because he's in prison. So sorry, yeah. guys. Uh, so I don't think he's going to get through process. I don't think he uh, barring some sort of you know, intervention from some sort of court. I saw just. It was just today that the D.C. Circuit said he's not going to have immunity from all the other nonsense cases revolving around the 2020 election. Remember 20 years ago, Ed, when we were told that Bill Clinton couldn't be prosecuted for perjury because he was president and uh, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 in the past, John. Don't don't go. Don't look backwards. You got to look towards today. All right. Zadrozny, thank you. I got to run. I'm on a break. Uh, John Zadrozny, everybody. Very useful resource. Understands a lot of the law, the policy, the politics. Uh, Worked in New York at the district attorney's office where the uh, this case is now originating. It's over at America First Legal. Links up in social media. Got to take a break. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very, very interested and interesting, uh, I think, conversation coming up. I was contacted uh, by a professional, one of the professional uh, PR folks, and she was telling me about an effort to create a national World War One memorial. Now, I, I love that idea because when I moved out to Washington, D.C. with my family to the area, we go down to D.C., we see all these different monuments. And one of the kids said at one point, why is there not a World War One memorial? He had st- I think they were studying it school and so now we're going to fill we're going to figure that out our next guest is Saban Howard he himself is a uh, award-winning uh, artist uh, before he got into this uh, which is uh, a national world war one memorial uh, a bit amazing piece of art he himself has a, had a career in art and and uh, and has done uh, lots of different things um, originally grew up I think in uh, New York City and trained all over the world including in Italy and so uh, welcome sir uh, uh, to the program how are you thank you thank you for having me on this morning Saban Howard, SabanHoward.com, folks, if you're listening and you want to check him out and check out what's going on now. First, how did this not get, I hate to say it, did not get done before? World War One Memorial. There's a World War II Memorial. There's, a, of course, Vietnam. Is it just that time slipped by and there was not a sense? I mean, how, and, and how did you then get pulled towards this? 
Yeah, so historically, okay, so the, the war ended in, in 1918, and mm-hmm. historically, we, as our country, we usurped that with the Great Depression, and then that moved into World War II, and so then it didn't happen then, and it only happened, well, 100 years later, when Obama signed into legislation what Congress had passed and allocated land on Pershing, Pershing Park, right by the Willard and 150 yards from the White House, then there was a blind competition run by Centennial Commission with 360 global teams supplying, and I, I, I was the unfortunate recipient of that award. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's, that's uh, you're being uh, that's funny, but uh, that's interesting. Blind. I mean, that's a, maybe we're in an era where that can still happen and work. I, I don't. I, I have a I have a motto, uh, Saban. We're talking with Saban Howard, who's the uh, author, the artist. Excuse me, the artist behind this incredible uh, World War One memorial. If you go to his website, Saban Howard dot com and it's S-A-B-I-N SabinHoward.com. You can see, uh, click through to lots of the details. And also, uh, uh, I should let people know there, there'll be in a major event uh, later in the year um, in, in uh, unveiling, but also a documentary will come out too uh, that will be helpful for people that couldn't be here. I have this motto, Saban, that says distrust, uh, then verify. It's the sort of putting on its head Reagan uh, when he was talking about the Soviets. I say distrust and verify about anything the government tells me right now, because I just, I can't trust them. I can't. And so the idea that there would be a successful blind uh, competition is very encouraging, actually, because your work looks incredible. And that's uh, that's a very positive thing. Now, I know the answer that this is a big deal. Artists and, and art appreciation folks recognize it. It's valuable, this kind of sculpture. But it feels like our culture doesn't value it. And maybe our American culture doesn't value it. Is that is that a problem? Is that one of the I mean, because it's it's how would you describe this kind of art? It's a sculpture, right? But it's uh, a. Yeah. Well, so here's the here's the here's the pro- the problem, and you're right. It relates to World War One. After World War One, decimation of 22 million people in Europe. You lose this Victorian era. The, the vision of the humanity and the universe and the world as being knit by a unified divine fabric. And there's no more sense of God. It's the end. And it's the beginning of the modern era in a way, because then you moved into these philosophers that come out of like France, like Sartre and Camus, which are about nihilism and alienation of man. And you don't have any sense of order anymore in the universe. It's chaos. It's a Hmm. chaotic universe. It's random. Hmm. So I find this really ironic that at this moment, okay, a hundred years, a little bit over a hundred years later, I'm making a sculpture that is reminiscent of the Italian Renaissance and and what my predecessors are, that rich tradition of figurative art. Mm -hmm. I am playing that forward in a moment that is crucial historically because we are sleepwalking into World War III. And this memorial is a very large sculpture. It's 60 feet in length. It has 38 figures. And it is a visual narrative that unfolds in bronze like a film. As you walk from the left side to the right side, it tells the story of one man's journey that is an allegory for the United States and the world. And that man leaves his family in the first scene, joins the Brotherhood of Arms, enters into battle, leads that battle charge. And then in the following scene is the cost of war. He he walks directly out at the viewer. He is the shell-shocked soldier. It's a transformation of a country, a man, the world. And then the next scenes proceed him to the right are the flag being carried home because we are no longer an agrarian nation. We are now an industrial superpower. That's what happened. And the last scene, he hands his daughter, the next generation, his helmet, and she looks into that helmet and she divines the future, which is World War II. 
So mm. uh, you're right when you say, who cares about art? And, and this is not politically correct, but most of the art out there is, <laughs> is nonsense. Why would people pay attention to nonsense and crap? So I'm here to change that and make something <laughs> that's sacred that people will be like, wow, this represents us because culture represents real world, the real world and people. So I did something that harkens back to sculptures like the David, like the David in Florence, which right. was a representation of this small municipality, a city that stood up against larger cities and, and, and pulled together under the Medici and was a very powerful force for around 50, 55 years. So that, that is the tradition that I am going back to, and I'm playing it forward in contemporary modern terms. It's, uh, we're talking again with Sabin Howard about uh, this incredible, I'm looking at it, by the way, at the, uh, at the images on your website. There's a, a, a wonderful photograph. And as you were walking through that sort of the, the um, sculptural uh, movement, this history of the World War I and this soldier is really, I could see it. I mean, it was you were explaining it in a way. It's, it's it's almost importantly, it's almost obvious to a non. If I didn't have you telling me, I could still see what was going on, and yeah. it, this was powerful. So, is the the World War One part of it feels like it's also a good moment, meaning. You know, World War II, Greatest Generation, and all this stuff that happened, we got a lot of attention on that. And World War I was, is one of the most extraordinary pivots in human history. Yeah. I, people don't even realize the extent of the damage, but also that everything was shifting at once in terms of warfare, in terms of, as you say, of the, of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, it just was a real pivot that makes me think like, okay, in some ways we can, we don't have to debate by then it's not it's not we're not getting caught up in the civil war right we're not oh were you a slave owner or not what did you do did you enough this is yeah. this is past that um i, I think that's i think i'm right you, you feel that yeah this is groundhog day we are doing the exact same damn thing a hundred years later it is the that war was the loss of humanity because you have machine gun fire 50 caliber bullets firing at men marching towards that gun and they're being mowed down and the government just throws more and more and more soldiers into this fray with no regard for general populace. It's just what the governments wanted to do. And, and, and there's something very parallel to what's going on today. How many Americans really want to be paying for the 51st state? How mm -hmm. many Americans want to like seal off our borders and take care of our country? And so this piece is about us. It's about the, the, the populace, the general populace. It's about we, the people, because this sculpture is not about historical figures. It's about we, the people, which is what the Constitution spoke about. And it's a taking back of what art should be for. It's for the general populace to go to Washington and see the history of this country and, and go home and, and all of a sudden be like, well, I need to look up what happened 100 years ago because the, folks, wake up. This is happening all over all over again. And it, what's going on that's different this time, it's, it's not the bullets this time, it's the technology that's being used. And it takes away from our humanity. And the way that I make my art is with clay, with metal tools, and looking at models dressed in uniforms from 100 years ago, we found photographs in those uniforms of mm. those people's families. And then we sculpt traditionally, spending six to 700 hours per figure doing wow. it in a way that was done for 2,000 years. And so the end result is I'm making art by hand with people 
And it, the, the end result, it has a human fingerprint on it. It doesn't have a digital fingerprint on it. It looks uh, very human. I'm sorry, Saban. Say, I've got to interrupt you because I'm, I'm out of time. I'm against a break. Uh, SabinHoward.com is the website. I'll have you back on again. But let me uh, say it's at Pershing Park in Washington, D.C. The big unveiling will be in September of 2020 of this year. Um, is that right? I, we, we were talking offline about uh, there, there. there's uh, um, oh, the June event. There's a, a grand reveal in the U.K., right? Is that is that yeah, right? That's so that's a private event. Okay. Okay. Private, so so and we, and we can look forward. We'll look for. Yeah, we'll look forward also to the um, to the uh, uh, um, the documentary that will come. So there's a lot there. We'll have you back again. I got to run though on a break. Uh, Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Very interesting. World War One memorial and fascinating artists and artwork. We'll talk more. Be right back here on the Pro America Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The judicial pileup against former President Donald Trump, led by Obama-appointed federal judges in D.C., has become increasingly brazen. Comments by these judges reveal a shocking level of political bias by people whose job requires them to be strictly nonpartisan. Judicial bias was on full display at a posh Washington, D.C. hotel where the Women's White Collar Defense Association gave its champion award to a sitting federal judge, Burl Howell. With almost no Republicans on hand to deter them, the powerful Democratic women lawyers felt free to let down their hair and say what they really thought about Donald Trump. As chief judge on the D.C. District Court until early 2023, Judge Howell issued a series of one-sided rulings that included ordering Trump's attorney to turn over his confidential notes to federal prosecutors. Most criminal defense attorneys would have howled in protest at her defiance of the traditional attorney-client privilege, but these liberal Democratic women lawyers gave her a high award instead. In remarks accepting her undeserved award, Judge Howell bragged that she and her D.C. colleagues were, in effect, saving America from Donald Trump, whom she falsely accused of pushing our country to the brink of authoritarianism. She incorrectly referred to our country as a democracy when we are not. We are a republic, which means our laws are made by elected representatives restrained by checks and balances, not by a direct popular vote. Judge Howell avoided mentioning Trump's name, but the context of her remarks left no doubt that her comments were directed at Trump and his supporters. She went on in her speech to claim that she and her fellow federal judges in D.C. see the impact of big lies by Trump in cases arising from the January 6th protests. The big lie, however, is for officials in our justice system to engage in nonstop politically motivated lawfare. Fair and just due process and the rule of law are sacrosanct aspects of America. Judges that ignore these institutions deserve no honor. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Hey, welcome back to the Pro America Report. This is Ryan Hyde again, filling in guest hosting here for Mr. Ed Martin today, and glad to be back with you to wrap up the show. What a good one. And uh, I just wanted to come back in, and i got a couple of thoughts to offer. We, we always talk on this program uh, about being informed, about going and finding out for yourself, following the facts. What is it? Ed's, Ed's phrase, distrust and verify. That's a good motto in today's world with a, a world full of fake news. We will, really are responsible more than ever for finding our own information and facts, for doing the legwork, for being citizen journalists, since the journalists aren't doing their job anymore. Now, make no mistake, there are still good resources. There are great places out there. We talk about them all the time. In fact, we have a lot of their folks on. People who write at American Greatness, folks who are over at the Epic Times, Just the News, Newsmax. There are good places who are writing good stories who are speaking the truth, who are finding real facts uh, that aren't just the mainstream media that are all driven by the same slavering narrative, pro-establishment, uh, pro-machine to support this uh, regime that is currently in place, the Biden administration, the leftist move that we're seeing. There are good places. However, I would like to encourage you once again to consider a lot of the resources that we put together because uh, there are a lot of places that move fast and furious. It kind of gets lost every single day under the news cycle. There's just no way to help that. Uh, the news moves so fast that some of these places have to keep up with what's being talked about. And then there are a lot of fantastic organizations, but they advocate for just one thing or they really have their one big issue and they talk about a few others. And, and I have no fault for any of these things. It's just pick and choose each to its own. But there is a really neat legacy uh, here at Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And this is kind of what I wanted to bring up. There's a really cool legacy of not only going into several different topics, Phyllis has a huge legacy across uh, the pro-family movement, uh, the fight for life against abortion in America, uh, the fight for traditional marriage, uh, both legally and culturally, the fight for religious liberty, the, all of these different things. There's also this huge history of fighting for uh, constitutionalism, for a sound judiciary, for uh, responsible fiscal policies, for sovereignty first border and immigration policies. Across all of the spectrum, there's just this wonderful wealth of fundamental conservative principles being applied across the field of issues that face us today. And even though Phyllis isn't with us anymore, she passed away in 2016, we still carry on that mission. And even though we don't claim to be right and to know exactly what to do on every single issue, all the jots and tittles, we want to have the conversations. And we have those conversations out loud. For everyone to hear and to participate in. And there is an incredible wealth of knowledge. This is, this uh, program, the Pro-America Report, is kind of a part of that. It's under the umbrella. Obviously, we're on the Salem Radio Network here, uh, streaming out of San Diego. And it gets, uh, um, you know, Dopplered into a oh, Dopplered. I don't know if that's the correct word. It gets ported into several other places as well. You might be listening to this on the radio in, in St. Louis or down south. Or uh, you might just be listening online to the podcast. But nonetheless... This is one of those connected things, but there are several others. Uh, I am proud to be able to host a great live stream program on Thursdays, and I don't say that because of me. I, it's just a great it's a great program. We talk about a lot of interesting stuff, and we actually talk. Um, Mason, uh, the uh, co-producer of this program, he and I sit down every Thursday at noon on our live stream program called Unauthorized Caucus, and we talk about these things. We, we pick a topic or two, and we actually have out the conversation. People hop into the chat, and we talk about it. John and Andy Schlafly write a fantastic column. 
problem. And it laser focuses into an issue, brings in tons of historical um, concepts and perspective and context. That's not concepts, context. That's the word I was looking for. It pulls a lot of great stuff together each and every week. Every Tuesday night it comes out. You can go to phyllislafley.com and then it echoes across all kinds of places. World Net Daily. My goodness, I can't speak today. World Net Daily carries it. Townhall.com carries it. Uh, So many other fantastic places echo that column out into the world and it, it just keeps going there are great things that come uh, from here the education reporter that's another one that's just absolutely incredible our, our uh, education reporter editor sue kunstman just does an incredible amount of research and there are wonderful articles that really hone in on the education issue book review all kinds of great stuff available every single month over at edreporter.org uh, edreporteronline.org there is great stuff and yeah it, I can't even tell you how important it is to go and be educated, to go and just fill yourself and your own knowledge with context, with little things here and there that you can recall. You don't have to know everything all at once, but you need to know a little bit of the connectors to be able to critically think about things and plug it in and put things in their place and decide where we should or shouldn't as Americans land on these issues. Let me encourage you. Go over to phyllislafley.com, uh, proamericareport.com, where Ed does his writings. You'll find all the stuff again for this program, but also there is where you're going to find the Education Reporter. You're going to find John and Andy Schlafly's weekly column. You're going to find the Phyllis Schlafly Report monthly newsletter. You're going to find the Education Reporter, uh, which has been out since 1986. There are so many incredible resources, and this is just the one organization that has a well-rounded view. Again, there's several others, and you'll hear us reference them and talk about them. I can't even stress to you as much as Ed talks about and is absolutely correct. We must distrust and verify. Where do you go to verify? This this is it. I'm making that pitch. I would love, and, and I'm appealing to you to do that. There are great uh, programs as well here on the Salem Radio Network that you're going to hear from uh, also that are going to talk about all these issues in long form, and we're going to flesh it out. And how does that connect? It is more important than ever before to not only be informed and to be consuming these kinds of, of sources and resources, but it is important to be having those conversations with family and friends because we got a lot of people who I think at base agree with us on a lot of the issues, a lot of these things that really are common sense, not the fake common sense things, that, that political phrase that the Democrats like to use, real, honest-to-goodness, logical, common sense things that are better for America and better for her people. That's what we need to be listening to, consuming, processing, and then talking about to other people who we know agree with us, but they are battered every day by the fake news narrative machine that we must beat back. So distrust and verify, but there are some places to go and verify. Thank you for being with us today on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for being the wonderful listeners that you are, the great family we have here to talk to every single day. Uh, Thank you to Ed for being such a wonderful host and Mason, my co-producer, for helping me keep everything running in the background. We appreciate you. We appreciate you being here. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com and Phyllis Laff. Grab today's show, share it with a friend, and we will look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow on the next edition of the Pro-America Report. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.